And we welcome you to the Tuesday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. Uh, between April 19th and April 23rd, Carthage College is going to be welcoming to its campus a visiting writer by the name of Sadiq Fafana. And uh, this is an event which uh, is primarily designed with the Carthage community in mind in terms of opportunities for him to work with Carthage students. But uh, there are also going to be uh, a couple of different opportunities for the community to engage with Sadiq Fafana. And uh, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later in the hour. But first, we're going to be meeting this gifted writer who uh, is... Uh, heralded for a, a book that I believe is still to be fully published and released to the public, but a book called Stories from the Tenants Downstairs, which is set in a Harlem high-rise, low-income high-rise, and features interconnecting stories. And uh, this book has already garnered tremendous uh, anticipation and praise, and I am eager to read it when it becomes available. But I'm very happy today to be able to talk to its author, and uh, find out a little bit about his life, which includes not only writing, but also teaching. He is a teacher in a public school in, in Brooklyn, uh, a proud graduate of NYU. And uh, again, Sadiq Fafana, we welcome you to the morning show. Thanks, Greg. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm very honored. Um, and thanks for the opportunity uh, to get to talk to you. I think it's really important for our listeners and for me to know a bit about you, about uh, where you come from originally, uh, and as you were growing up, wherever that was, uh, at what point in time writing uh, became something really important to you? Mm. Well, um, by ethnicity, I am West African. My parents are born in Sierra Leone. I was born in Houston, Texas. Um, but I only lived there for 12 months and I grew up in Boston. So for all of high school, um, I grew up in Boston and I left Boston at 18 to uh, go to school in New York City. And as far as writing, I've always been creative or tried to be creative. Uh, first, it was poetry. And then when I was around seven or eight, it was hip hop. So my literary genre of choice is the hip hop verse. Um, and so I wrote a lot of like verses and songs. Um, and then right around the end of college, kind of had a, a moment, an awakening moment where I asked myself, you know, I love music so much, but if there were no music, um, what would I do creatively? And the answer was to just write, it would be to write stories. And so the tail end of undergrad, um, very beginning of my time as a recent grad, right after I graduated college, started writing stories. And it was just an apprenticeship that kind of turned into something a bit more serious where I sought out um, MFA programs. Um, I was lucky enough to get into NYU's program and I kind of took it from there and just kept revising and rewriting stories. But, you know, I'm a Bostonian by heart, West African by heart, and also now uh, a New Yorker. I've lived in New York longer than I lived in Boston. Um, and 
you know, reading, writing, and creating have been been with me since a young age. Hmm. Can you tell us anything about what prompted uh, your parents to leave uh, Sierra Leone uh, for the United States? Did mm-hmm. anything in particular uh, draw them here? Yeah, um, school did. They want they wanted to attend the college. Um, so my parents came here in 1976. Um, my mother was 21 and my dad was mid twenties. And, um, for my dad, it was to, um, go to school for like business administration. Um, my mother was attending a four-year college, but then she transferred to a, a community college. And the plan was that they would do the, uh, they would go to school in the United States and they would come right back to Sierra Leone. That was the plan. Um, and they had an, you know, my, my mother came from like a kind of middle-class upbringing. And so my grandmother gave them the option, like where in the world would you want to continue education? And they said the United States and my grandmother asked where in the United States and they said Boston and so the plan was for them to go to school and then to come back um and at the time Sierra Leone was a very uh developed country and my parents like to brag that the the currency in Sierra Leone was actually worth more than the dollar in the mid-70s but between them leaving and and uh you know the few or so years that they you they they took to go to school um the country went through some turmoil um there's more poverty there's a little bit more government corruption and so coming back was not an option and so they stayed in the united states and that was 1976 and seven years later i was born 1983 So tell us about your experience of, of growing up. And I ask that because this highly anticipated book you've written called Stories from the Tenants Downstairs is set in a Harlem low-income high-rise. Mm-hmm. Is that any reflection whatsoever of any of your childhood or the, the setting in which you grew up? Or or or, or was your... Uh, uh, your childhood, your your upbringing, uh, in a very different setting and situation. Um, it was, I would say yes and no. Like I grew up, um, I did not grow up rich. Um, I would classify my upbringing as lower middle class. So, you know, if the building stories from our tenants downstairs or stories from the tenants downstairs um was in Boston it would be in the neighborhood that I grew up but I grew up in um a three family house so my neighborhood in 1983 in the mid 80s was a very abandoned um neighborhood um it was mostly people of color mostly black people um it's one of the poorest at the time neighborhoods in in boston 
um, lots of abandoned houses. Years before it was middle class, um, but then right after uh, the late 60s, the assassination of Martin Luther King, it started to go downhill. So by the time I moved there, um, it was, it was, you know, a very neglected neighbor neighborhood. Um, and my house that I grew up in was actually an abandoned house. And so my parents kind of um, put a little bit of money down. I want to say the deposit was $500. There was a, there was a program that the city uh, had at the time where you put, if you put down a little bit of money, the, then you could petition the city to, to pay to renovate the house in this neighborhood that really nobody really wanted to, to live in. And so my parents put down their $500 deposit and um, they bought a three family house. And so um, growing up, I lived on the first floor and then they were tenants on uh, the second and the third floor. Um, and we were stones throw away from, from public housing. We all kind of um, just inter intermixed, played around. We were all kids growing up in the neighborhood. But to think of it in terms of like, did I grow up poor? It's very hard to think about that because poor um, poverty is a relative thing. You don't know you're poor until you see someone who has more than you. Mm. And so growing up, we all pretty much had the same thing. So we not we didn't all, we didn't think of ourselves as 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 rich or poor. We thought ourselves as we had everything <laughs> that we needed. Um, and I never. Uh, growing up had that thought of like, oh my God, this is, it's so harsh um, to, it's so harsh living in Roxbury. This is, even though maybe scholars might write about it that way, as kids viscerally living in, in Roxbury, I don't think we ever were like, oh, this is just unbearable. This is unbearable. Um, and so I didn't get the concept of maybe I didn't have as much as others until I went to, to uh, private school. I went to public school from six, uh, from kindergarten to sixth grade. Yeah, I guess I grew up poor, but I didn't really know it until I saw people have more than me. Hmm. It sounds like you also grew up in a neighborhood in which, uh, as you've already said, people's lives were very much interconnected. And mm. so you were, in a sense, a part of each other's lives, not really insulated from each other's stories. And I suspect that that might be at least part of where uh, some of your inspiration comes for stories from the tenants downstairs. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think I always like to think of the building and stories from the tenants downstairs as a, as a metaphor for a community of people in a big city. And in Boston, that's what we were. And a lot of these characters in the book are amalgamations of people that I knew from, from Boston and from New York. Um, and sometimes I can't even tell the difference because um, I think in a lot of urban communities, there's a certain, uh, there's a community aspect and there are certain roles that people fill 
with pride in the certain roles that people fill out of necessity. Um, and so, yes, um, a lot of these characters are inspired by people I grew up with in Boston uh, because that sense of community is there. When uh, you live in the inner city and you live in close quarters, whether it be in the building, um, three family house, or whether it's someone's down the street from you, but you all gather for the neighborhood barbecue or cookout. We're speaking with Sadiq Fofana, and uh, he is coming to Carthage College a little bit later in the month of April as a visiting writer. And there are a couple of different public events uh, that we will be talking about in just a few minutes uh, with our other guest, uh, uh, Cameron Swallow. Sadiq Fofana, I want to know more about what it was like to be growing up in that kind of neighborhood, interested in the things in which you were interested. Uh, mm. As a young man who uh, was interested in writing and poetry and, and being creative and, and so on, uh, I'm, I'm curious, among other things, how that was viewed by your peers who perhaps mm. wondered why you weren't more interested in playing basketball or whatever. Uh, and also what it was like to, in a sense, live a creative life in, in that kind of setting. Uh, and, and in a sense, what did creativity mean for mm. you? What did it mm. represent for you in your life? Yeah, I mean, I think um, <clears throat> growing up, I was into the, into the stuff that other kids was into. They, you know, I was basketball player. Like, I loved basketball. And um, I met a lot of my friends in the neighborhood playing basketball. I played varsity from, from 10th to 12th. Um, so that was part of my um, experience. And again, hip hop was a part of my experience too. So it was like most of the people in my neighborhood, we, we bonded through, through music, through playing sports, just being people of color in a city. Um, and so, um, I mean, I felt a little bit of alienation in that, like I, from seventh through 12th, I didn't go to public school. And so my day in my neighborhood would be like waking up really early in the morning and taking the train almost outside of the city to go to private school that was a predominantly white institution. Um, but during the summer times and sometimes in the evening in the spring, I was just another neighborhood kid. Um, and I kind of, I like to think of that. I like to think of hip hop as a, you know, I get so intimidated by these writers who are like, I read every day as a child, you know, <laughs> the age of eight. Like, I'm like, if I'm ever interviewed, I can't say that. I cannot say that I was like a voracious reader. I liked books. I had binges. I had a roll doll binge. Uh, I remember reading Animal Farm very, very early. Um, and in high school, whatever they gave me to read for homework, I read. Um, but I didn't read like on my own voraciously. And, you know, I think when people ask the question about like, creativity and and reading i think a, a embedded question is like what was the apprenticeship like how did you learn how to write and i asked myself that question and the only answer i can come up with is like 
again, hip hop. Hmm. I'm like, if I'm reading, like if a hip hop artist is a poet with music and what you're listening to is poetry over musical accompaniment. And every day on the train, you have uh, the equivalent to the New York New Yorker poetry podcast with music in your ears every day. That has to account for some kind of literary training. And I think that I would point to that. Just like people who are a few years older than me point to like comic books um, as like an early like literary endeavor. Um, I really do point to like listening to hip hop verses and that kind of like the organic intellectualism that comes from that. Um, even to this day when I'm writing stories, my main reference point, and I'm thinking of like a narrative issue, is I'll go to like stories that Biggie wrote and told via hip hop verse and Nas via hip hop verse. So, um, so yeah, I mean, to, a short answer to that was like um, being creative and liking, liking books and stories never really alienated me from my peers because we just bonded through basketball and hip hop, which I felt like in itself um, was another like intellectual conversation discussion that, that was going on. Excellent. I'm curious when you went off to college and what, mm -hmm. and I think that was to NYU to study creative writing. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I went, I went, my undergrad was Columbia and then I went to, to NYU for writing. Great. Now, what I'm wondering is what did your professors make of this background that you brought? I mean, that for instance, mm -hmm. for you so much of the inspiration, the lifeblood of at least much of your writing came from this, phenomenon of, of, of hip hop, uh, was that something that they had encountered before? Or, I mean, was that something that they could sort of fold into the curriculum or into a uh, mm. framework in which they were going to teach you to be a better writer? Or was this in a sense, brand new ground for, for all of you? Mm. Well, I feel like in my neighborhood, people knew I played basketball and people knew I rapped but they didn't know that I was at Roxbury Latin reading Henry David Thoreau and translating Greek, Greek poetry. <laughs> um, at Columbia, professors knew I was a student that got, it was more that, it was more a thing that um, other students knew. And I think that question is a viable one because most of the students, again, it's another predominantly white institution, but at the same time, more diverse than most where we had students from all over the, the, the country, all over the world. Um, and a lot of them were hip hop fans. And I think they were like conventional fans who, you know, experienced a lot of their hip hop on wax, on, on CD. But then to have like a, occasionally a few of us on campus, I wasn't the only one. Um, to see that live hip hop performance and coming from one of their peers. Um, I think that was just part of the experiment of college, you know, it's like, 
ideally you want to be on a campus where you have students who who represent a, a vast array of experiences um and i like to think that maybe you know that i brought the the inner city experience and the uh you know, someone who's a poet, but a poet through uh, through instrumentals and through boom bap beat beats. Um, I like to think that maybe I was that person who provided that experience. But my uh, professors had no I had no idea. Um, I did use I did do poetry books, and um, I gave a shout out to one of my professors, Robin D G Kelly, in it. And um, I used to sell these books for like four or five dollars and he bought one so he knew I wrote poetry very few of my professors knew I rapped I was mostly like strictly academic in their presence hmm. what would you say was the most significant development in your writing in terms of becoming a better writer hmm. what would be sort of the arc of improvement what what about your writing uh, has improved through the course of your studies, for instance, and just then your experience of doing more and more. Maybe another way to ask the question is, if we looked at, for instance, uh, this new book, Stories from the Tenants Downstairs, mm -hmm. how would it compare to maybe comparable efforts from some years ago? Mm. I think the key thing is re revising and, and sitting with it. Um, I, th I wrote my first story at the age of 23 and I want to say after the first or second draft and by second draft proof, like minor proof copy edits, I was ready to send it out. Um, <laughs> but I think going into my late twenties, I started to look back on some of those and then cringe a little bit and not necessarily find the solace in the publication um, but to begin thinking about, well, was this a best representation of my ability? And was this piece put out in front of the world in its most realized form? Hmm. Um, and so I think late, late 20s, early 30s, it, it started to become like, I'm going to draft and redraft and make sure that things are in their most realized, realized form. Something that I read that another writer wrote. So you've evolved to the place where uh, you understand that just because something ushers from your pen doesn't necessarily mean it is the best that it can be. As someone who uh, is a, a music prophet, Carth Carthage, and uh, occasionally works with uh, young people who uh, are aspiring composers. Uh, that's sometimes a really hard lesson for them to learn is just because they've noodled around on the piano and come up with something, that doesn't mean it's something particularly uh, original uh, or compelling or, mm. or, or what they really want to say. And, and uh, finding the wastebasket has a, a function uh, for, for any young composer or writer uh, is sometimes uh, a, a difficult lesson for, for, for people to learn. It sounds like at some point you learned that lesson and now it has certainly paid off handsomely. You learn later to like, to step outside yourself, to step outside yourself and then look at your work, how someone else would look at it. 
and that's a scary that's that's scary but it's all it ultimately leads to to growth so you are living a life that includes writing but also teaching you mm -hmm. are teaching someplace in brooklyn uh mm -hmm. tell us about the, the the school in which you're teaching and what you are teaching there oh yeah i, I teach in, in bushwick at a school called the brooklyn school for math and research and it's on um the bushwick campus so many years ago it, the school was simply called bushwick high school and it was big school with thousands of students but in the in the recent years i think it was a um, bloomberg initiative a lot of the big new york city schools were um divided into smaller schools so my school is on the bushwick campus and the bushwick campus houses four schools of which mine is is one so my school is on the second and third floor. It's called the Brooklyn School for Math and Research. Um, I teach um, English language arts there. You know, there's a focus on on math, but we still have a strong English department. And I think uh, teaching um, informs my writing. Um, it gives me challenges. It allows me to people watch, see how students, how people, um, face obstacles. I see organic genius regularly. So very good. Are you excited about coming to Carthage College? And uh, uh, what are your uh, what are your hopes and expectations about uh, what you're going to get to do here? Oh, yeah, I'm very excited to come to Carthage College. Um, and it's a very first time doing a visiting writers, um, being part of the visiting writers series for, for any campus. And so I'm super enthusiastic about that. Now, from what I've, you know, read and what I've understood about visiting writers, like the, you know, that, that time, most of the time it's, you come to a campus, you do a reading, you interact with some students, um, and then you call it a day. But what makes this particular week um, where I'm so amped up is that there are community events tied into it. And I, I love the idea of uh, being on campus, um, interacting with prospective teachers, which is on the agenda, and then doing the reading and excited about being on campus. But I'm also excited with uh, about meeting with the barbershop collective um, and being part of the other community events, being able to um, to uh, visit a school and do some creative writing with some with some teenagers, some kids. Um, and I think that's what a visiting writers week should be. It should be like get to come to a glorious campus and do a reading, but then there should always be some kind of community aspect. And I feel like um, one of the things I appreciate about Carthage is that I was asked, like, what would you want to, to have to experience during that week? And I had no idea. And there were some suggestions made, 
But now that I know that this is within the realm of possibilities, if any other campus asked me that again, I would definitely say, let's reach out to a, a community organization and do, a, and do an event. So super excited. Terrific, with good reason. Uh, uh, Sadiq Fafana, who is coming to the campus of Carthage College and to the community of, uh, of Kenosha, April 19th through the 23rd. I'm really happy that also in this Zoom call is uh, Cameron Swallow, who has been on the morning show before. And uh, Cameron Swallow has been uh, uh, a, a key component in the planning of this event, and in particular, some of the uh, community uh, involvement that is going to be part of Sadiq Fafana's visit. Cameron Swallow, we welcome you to the program and glad uh, that you can join us. Thank you, Greg, for the welcome. And I'm so excited to see you or not see you, but hear you here, <laughs> Sadiq, and really looking forward to welcoming you to our Wisconsin community as we welcomed you to our Tennessee community all those years ago. Yes. So Cameron, tell us about that. Tell us what, what this previous encounter was uh, between you and Sadiq Fafana. <laughs> well, um, the Sewanee Review is a, a literary journal that is published at our, our former institution, our alma mater, the University of the South in Sewanee, Tennessee. And the new editor of the Sewanee Review uh, at that time, Adam Ross, um, he, is, he is still the editor, but he had just become the editor uh, when he published Sadiq's story, The Okie Doke and invited Sadiq to campus to do a reading. And it was like nothing we had ever experienced in Sewanee. It, I mean, speaking for myself uh, entirely, but it was so exciting to be part of the, the new chapter of this old literary journal and to be part of welcoming Sadiq to Sewanee and to be part of of sort of the launch of a new and important distinctive literary voice. We were just excited to, to feel like we were in on the ground floor of something new and exciting. And now to be able to um, invite him to Kenosha, Wisconsin in sort of a, a second chapter, second level of um, his emergence in the literary scene feels like a, an excellent follow-up. Very good. So uh, explain what is planned for uh, for Sadiq Fafana's uh, visit to southeastern Wisconsin coming up uh, a little bit later this 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 April. Well, I'm, I'd be sure to leave off something if I really tried to summarize the itinerary, because I think that Dean Ness has it very tightly packed and organized. Um, I do know that he will be speaking at a couple of um, high schools where prospective students are considering Carthage and that would um, so it's a it's like publicity for Carthage at some of the places that we are recruiting students and know that he's going to be speaking to actual current Carthage students um, by visiting some classes and giving a reading on Wednesday night and then the event that I'm the most specifically involved with is the community meeting at the Regimen Barber Collective on 52nd Street in downtown Kenosha. Um, Alvin Owens has a real community center going on there at the collective, and we are using it to the fullest. We have passed out copies of 
the Okie Doke short story to um, clients of Alvin's Barbershop and to a group called the African American Youth Initiative that is um, through the Kenosha Unified School District. It is officially the spring break of Kenosha Unified. So the students aren't being assigned this through school, which if, you, if you've read the first page of it, you would know they couldn't be assigned this story through school. So they're gonna feel, they're gonna feel very excited about getting to, to be asked to read this story because it has um, some language in it that would not fly in any kind of um, official school uh, function, um, but those students are going to be invited for that Friday of their spring break to come and participate in a discussion of the story and a presentation by Sadiq, which may include um, reading some portion of that story in his voice. Marvelous. That is something to look forward to. So um, Circling back to your first encounter with Sadiq Fafana uh, down in uh, Suwani, where you and, and your husband were before you came to Carthage, uh, what made it so extraordinary uh, uh, and in contrast to uh, similar sorts of events that had come before it? I mean, what do you feel like was the, the unique uh, compelling factor in, uh, in, in that uh, event with Sadiq Fafana? Well, I was an undergraduate at Sewanee and I was for six years there as the wife of an administrator and I had never heard anyone speak in the accent, the cadence and the language used throughout the Okie Doke, the authentic language of the inner city world that he describes in such detail and such pathos. It's, it's beautiful and it rings true from the very beginning. And it was an exposure that Sawani is not accustomed to getting. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm sure I, I would make a mistake if I said that it had never intersected Sawani's life at all. But in my experience, it was a first and it was exciting and refreshing to come into contact with another culture like that. Hmm. Uh, Sadiq Fafana, a, a last question about this, this major uh, book that uh, is soon to be released to the public, Stories from the Tenants Downstairs, in which you have eight interconnected stories all set in this Banneker Homes, low-income high-rise. Uh, it sounds like you have a, a various stories that, among other things, include all kinds of very, very serious, sometimes even ferocious challenges and difficulties for, uh, for the characters in question, uh, challenges which sometimes they meet almost heroically and probably other challenges in which uh, some of them uh, maybe succumb to temptation or whatever. Um, how much do you think about, uh, as you craft a book like this, and in particular stories like this, about the balance between being realistic versus being inspirational, uh, be, versus uh, conveying uh, 
reality about what it's like to live in a place like this versus avoiding uh, the common stereotypes. I mean, it seems like there are a lot of things to think about in order to mm-hmm. tell these stories uh, as, as compellingly as possible. Uh, what did you think about and, and, and ponder yeah. as you constructed I, this? I thought, about, I thought about all of that. Um, and I thought about it from a, a very, very scared, very scary place uh, because there's a lot of tightrope walking that's involved when you take on um, an endeavor like this. And Cameron, I appreciate your your, your kind words and remembering me um, throughout the, all that time. That that really means a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I thought of uh, you know, I think everything that I wrote about every story that I've written about um, has, I've I've definitely either witnessed or know of multiple people who have been in that situation. And so that one, I think it's it's coming to be known as the, the Margaret Atwood rule from Handmaid's Tale. She said, I didn't make any of this up. Like anything that happened in a handmaid's tale has happened in life. It has happened in the world. It's happened in society. And, um, you know, I think a, a similar thing is that, and it's a, a scary notion for us as Americans to, to reckon with that, to, you know, and as I'm writing, I'm like, oh my God, am I writing a cliche? Am I writing a stereotype? Am I portraying people of color in a not so good light? And the question I would always ask myself as I'm writing and as I'm thinking through these challenges, um, is is there a person that exists that I know that um, has gone through something similar? And you know, for these stories at least, um, yes, people people like this they they exist. And my follow up question is. Do they deserve their stories to be told? And I, the answer is undoubtedly, undoubtedly yes. The last thing I'll say is, the last thing I'll say is, um, it's it was a scary experience the whole time because you're like, I want to write about certain people, but I know people will say like, this is a cliche or there's always a little person in my heart. My, my artist self, my greater artist self is, is wants, wants praise, wants approval. Um, but then there's a tiny person in my heart that's rebellious and ready to do something edgy. And hopefully those two kind of reconcile. Um, but yes, I did think about that a lot and I appreciate that question. Mm. So uh, what is next for you uh, in terms of your writing career? Are you hard at work at an, on a new work? I am. I'm, I'm, I'm working on shorter fiction. So my stories are like 15 to, to 40 pages now. And now I'm working on uh, stories that are like three to 10 pages. And I part of it is because I, you know, I'm a teacher and those stories that I can teach in a class period or even in a week um, or a couple of class periods that are like anywhere from 
three to five pages at the most 10. And I see how that works well in the classroom. So that's kind of been the model that I've like been ingrained in me. Um, and it's kind of how I've chosen text to teach. It's also my way of, you know, not saying I'm not gonna write, I'm not gonna write a novel, you know, cause there's a lot of pressure. So I'm going to, you know, as long as I'm being asked that question, I will be writing my short, short fiction. Um, and that kind of like alleviates some pressure and also helps me work on something that I could feasibly finish in a reasonable time. Well, Sadiq Fafana, it has been marvelous to uh, get to know you. And uh, uh, I, along with many other people, are very, very excited about your upcoming visit uh, to the campus of Carthage College and to the greater Kenosha community as well. And I appreciate you making time in your busy schedule for this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to my Wisconsin visit. Very good. And Cameron Swallow, thank you for your hard work uh, to help make Sadiq Fafana's visit to, uh, to Carthage and to Kenosha even more exciting and meaningful. And uh, thank you for being part of the morning show as well. Thanks for the invitation, Greg.